19. If you'd allow me to read you uh, some verses here. Let's get comfy. All right, Beth? It's good to see you. Is that your mom and dad? No. Okay, great. So we'll take it. We'll take it. Welcome. Welcome. That was, that was a bit awkward, Jacob. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. feel a bit awkward about that. Okay. I'm trying to get refocused now. Verse 1 of 17 of the Gospel of John. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way you have eternal life, to know you, the only true God. Can we fix that a little bit? The only true God. Where was I? Verse 4. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me. Now, Father, bring me into glory. We sh- bring me into the glory, excuse me, we shared before the world began. I have revealed you to the ones you have given me. There were, they were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. For I have passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I come from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, and they are staying in this world. But I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we were. We are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of my name that you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except for the one heading for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the, word, the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. I am asking you to take them, I'm not asking you, excuse me, to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Verse 17, if we can focus in on verse 17 through 19. Jesus says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I gave myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they would be made holy by your truth. Father, we pray, God, today, as we look into the word of God, as we look into what Jesus called the word of truth, Lord, we ask, God, that you would sanctify us today by this word. God, that you would do supernatural things within us according to this word. God, I ask, my prayer is this evening, Lord, that you would transform us into the image of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's important to know that this prayer, that Jesus is praying, 
is believed by many scholars to be a prayer of consecration or sanctification. In other words, Jesus is praying for the sanctification or the consecration of those the Father has given Him. And the means of which the sanctification is to take place is through the teaching of the truth. God's Word, according to John 17, 17. In other words, truth is the sphere in which their sanctification was to take place. They had through Christ received the Word of the Father, which was truth. But they were about to pass into a new season. We touched upon it last Sunday. John chapter 16, Jesus drops a bomb on His friends. He says, guys, guess what? I'm leaving. Ah, I'm out of here. I'm going back to glory. And what the disciples don't know or what they're about to experience or what they're about to know is their season, the season of life that they were in, the pleasure that they had in knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus is about to be over in one's physical sense. And they're about to pass into a new season of life. Jesus was praying that they would be separate from the world in John 17, 6 through 8. In John 17, 14 through 16. Now Jesus is praying that the Father would preserve them and set them apart for the work of which He has for them in this new season. This is a prayer of consecration. We could picture it like just Jesus giving the news to His friends that He's leaving. And going into a time of prayer, praying for them. Lord, set them apart and send them into the world. The idea of the root word uh, sanctified in the King James Version, we didn't read it here, we actually used the word holy in the uh, New Living Translation, is uh, separation. It's to be separate, to be set apart, to be consecrated. It's not opposed to what is impure, but to what is common. And is consistently used in the Greek and Old Testament for the consecration of a person or things to the service of God. Did you get that? So we could read John 17, 17 like this. Father, consecrate them. Sanctify them, Father. Set them apart by your truth. Jesus uses himself in John 10, 36 as an illustration of this. Turn just a couple chapters back to John chapter 10, 36. Jesus illustrates this as he talks about his own sanctification and his own being thrusted or sent into the world for the work of God. Verse 36 of the Gospel of John chapter 10. Why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father has set me apart and sent me into the world. So it's in this same way that right now here in John chapter 17, 17, that Jesus is praying, Father, in the same way you set me apart for your work, set them apart. In the same way, Father, you sent me, you consecrated me, and sent me in to do your work into the world, do it for them, do it for my friends. John 10.36, he himself, Jesus, states that he was set apart and set into the world. He is praying now for his disciples 
that they would be sent into the world in the same way, John 17, 18, compared to John 10, 36. Jesus prays that they may be in the same way sanctified by the teaching of truth and sent into the world to do the work that Jesus has for them. This is the desire of Christ in this moment. John 17, 17, Jesus says something that I don't know stands out to me where he says, make them holy by your truth. Make them holy. So we have to take out that imperfect word because we know we're not talking about holiness. We're talking about consecration. If you study the word holy in the Hebrew. We have to take that out with Father. Separate them by your truth. Or set them apart, excuse me, by your truth. And teach them your word, which is truth. The truth of God's word, this word right here, the word that's on your lap or in your iPad or on your iPhone, possesses the power to make us holy. Or in Jesus' words, to sanctify us. This word right here, this word of truth, as we find, as we go along in this chapter, we will find that this word right here has the ability, possesses the power to consecrate our lives, to make us holy. According to the words of Jesus, these are not my own words. And Jesus, in the second half, clarifies and declares explicitly what kind of truth he uses to sanctify his people. Just skip down in my notes if you, won't, if you don't mind. The Hebrew name for the word, word here that Jesus used in John 17 is logos. And the definition is a word uttered by a living voice. Embodies a conception or idea. What someone has said, a word, the sayings of God, decree, mandate, or order. A moral precepts, moral precepts given by God. Old Testament prophecy given by the prophets. So right there in those two definitions, we see that Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament. What is declared? A thought, declaration, or a weighty saying. Your word, like Jesus uses it in John 17, 17, occurs 32 times in the New Living Translation. And that means when we can look at these uh, 30, uh, 32 other expressions of your word, we can find and kind of pinpoint what Jesus means. Or we can, we can really understand or begin to understand what kind of word sanctifies us, in other words. It's funny that 20 verses out of these 32 are found in Psalms 119. How many are familiar with that long Psalms right there in Psalms 119? It's funny that the psalmist... Uh, you are fills and replace the deprived, depraved, excuse me, or fallen uh, nature of his life with God's word. Here in Psalms 119, verse 9, this is what he says. How could a young person stay pure by obeying your word? Psalms 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalms 119.16 says, I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. So just right here in these couple verses, we see that the 
Word of God has the ability to divert us from living in sin. It has the ability to purify us or make us pure by obeying the Word. It can revive us. Come on, how many here today need to be revived? You just need a touch from the Holy Spirit. I'll raise my hand. I'm, I, I'm right there. Yeah, you think I'm preaching. I'm revived. No, I need revival. I need to be revived. Well, David says, revive me. I lie in the dust. I lie in depression. I lie in discouragement. I lie in confusion. Revive me by your word. How many believe here this evening that the word possesses the power to revive you? Listen, we love the Holy Spirit, and we'll find that the, Holy, uh, the word divorced or not in uh, connection to the Holy Spirit is empty anyways, but, but sometimes we just have to believe or just look at the power of God's word. How many times or how many people here today, you just have been in a dark season, uh, uh, maybe, maybe some trials, maybe some uh, confusion, maybe some... I don't know, whatever it could be, but you've actually just gone to the Word and you felt that Word just wash over you and encourage you. Come on, that's the power of God. That's the power of God's Word. That's the Word that Jesus is talking about in John 17, 17. Make them holy by your truth. Your truth is your Word. Psalms 19, 37. Turn my eyes from worthless things. And give me life through your word. I love these things. These things charge me, man. Psalms 19.43. Don't snatch your word of truth from me. For your righteousness are my only hope. Your regulations, excuse me. Kind of getting lost here. Don't want to preach some heresy. John 17, 17, Jesus not only prays that his friends would be set apart by the truth of God's word, but he also prays that they would be taught his word, which is truth. Did you see this? Let's just turn back. If you're at John 10, 36, go back or go forward actually to John 17, 17 again. And let's just finish again this line in verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach. Teach them your word. So this says to me that this word of truth needs to be taught. Some of you don't get the, it just went right over your head. I'm going to try to explain it real clear. This thing doesn't just happen in some kind of cosmic vacuum or, or bubble. It actually, when we stand or when we sit, excuse me, and we're hearing the word being taught, it's exactly what Jesus means here. We just don't catch it by hanging in our room, giving and glancing through scripture, hoping that God speaks to us. Not, nevertheless, that could happen. It's happened many times. You're just like, God, speak to me. Okay, whoa. But it doesn't always happen like that. This word that Jesus right now in John 17, 17 needs to be taught. Needs to be taught. Jesus identifies God's word as being the truth. 
And he prays that God would teach him this, teach them this truth. So we know this truth is the word of God. And we know that the word has the ability to sanctify us as we sit under its teaching. You know, my mind goes whenever I start thinking, I, you know, there's such a struggle today in the church. You know, it seems like, forgive me, maybe, maybe it, it's not like that for you, but it seems like we have like two classes of people. I don't make them, you probably don't make them, but it just from a, if you were an outsider standing, you know, on the outside looking in, you kind of see like two classes of people. We, we got like these heavy, over-spiritualist charismatics, and then we got these, the Word, the Word, and, and it seems like there can never be any harmony between the two. John Piper says it's the best. He says, you know, the biggest problem is making the connection. He, he kind of equates the, um, the heart being the spirit and the mind being the truth or the, the word. And he talks about this marriage <laughs> that he would like to see happen in the body of Christ where the heart actually marries or finds some sense of uh, cooperation with the mind. You know, Jesus wrestled that in his day. Come on, the Pharisees, this is what Jesus said about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 2 through 3. He said, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. It wasn't that what the Pharisees were, was saying was wrong. They were educated people, friend. They knew the law of Moses. They knew the Old Testament. But somehow, Jesus had a constant battle with them. Why? Because they didn't have the connection of the Spirit, if you would. They, they, just, they just gave information without the heart, without the Spirit. So Jesus says, put to practice and obey what they teach. Why? Because it's true. But don't follow their examples because they don't practice what they preach. In matters of the truth and Spirit, Jesus in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine points out the lack of attention and understanding the Pharisees have about the Scriptures and the power of God. Let's turn there real quick. Matthew 22, 29. Real quick. Let's see. Let's see if I can turn there real quick. Yes, 22, 29. One little scripture. Jesus is having a little squabble, if you would, with some Pharisees. It's all about resurrection and the power of God. And this is what he says in Matthew 22, 29. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures... And you don't know the power of God. Now this wasn't the thing that he was saying in Matthew 23, 2 through 3. He was saying, listen, listen to these guys. They know what they're talking about. But don't follow their example, right? But here he's saying, listen, you are not knowledgeable of the scriptures. You don't know what is true. You're ignorant of it. And you don't know the power of God. And so again, we see that whole illustration, the word of God and the spirit of God. And we see the same kind of tension in the body of Christ today, don't we? 
you know, charismatics. They, 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 the, you're religious, man. They're, they're over there to the word people. You are religious. You, the spirit, come to the dark side. And the word guys are like, no, that's not biblical. No, you guys are crazy. I mean, John MacArthur, I hate to throw him under the bus. Uh, not that it matters. He's probably not going to listen to this anyways. Uh, but, you know, he just came out and literally deemed the whole charismatic movement as apostate. He deemed us as being demonically possessed. Yay! One of the, one of the greatest commentaries, writers in our time, one of the greatest scholars, greatest minds in the body of Christ has deemed the charismatic church as evil. And what we don't understand, we will always probably try to deem as being demonic or evil. They did it to Jesus. They did it to most of the apostles. The power of God or the spirit of God defies logic. And when it defies logic, when we get out of control and the spirit takes control, it scares us. And so the best thing that we know how to do, even scholars, even the best minds among us, like John MacArthur, deems us as demoniacs. Why? Because he doesn't understand it, I believe. Now, that's a pretty wild statement to say, <laughs> given his education. But nevertheless. Then, of course, we have the story at the woman of the well in uh, John chapter 4, 19 through 24. Let's just turn one more scripture, guys, and then we'll, we'll bring it home. The path's lost. Don't worry about it. It's over, guys. It's over. Get used to it. I love the Pats. Listen, I love the Pats. Don't get me wrong, guys. I just, I, you know, it's been a little depressing around here lately. I'm not going to lie. Okay, back to the point here. John chapter 14, 19 through 24. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Are we familiar with the story of the woman at the well? Here in verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While the Samaritans claim it is here on Mount, I'm not even going to pronounce it, where our ancestors worship. Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Jesus accuses the Samaritan people of knowing little about the one they worship. Now, this could be said about the Jewish people too, friend. This could be said. I mean, they were ready to and wanted to kill Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, the Jews had an up here, but Jesus uses that analogy. So he accuses or he points out the fact that they know little about the one they worship. This is after the woman tries to explain to Jesus why, the, why Jews think the only place to worship is in Jerusalem. When the Samaritans claim it's on this mountain in Samaria. Jesus explains to the woman that the day is coming and is even here now when it won't matter where you worship. But what will matter is how you worship. Jesus wasn't interested in what location the Jews or the Samaritans worshipped. He was concerned with how they worshipped. 
And he declared in the same scripture that the day would come when his people would worship him in spirit and truth. Friend, we cannot have one without the other. We cannot just deem a whole army of people, if you would, the charismatic church, as being possessed by devils because we don't understand it. Or that's just the easy go-to. And we can't look at the Word of God people as saying, you are religious. No, they care deeply about the Word. They want to see it honored. They want to see it lived out and flushed out. They want to go line upon line, precept upon precept. The two, the Spirit and truth, must come together. You see, the Samaritan people, their biggest problem was they were at the um, kind of on the outskirts of just being um, bombarded by the Persian army. And, and what happened prior to the Persian army coming in and taking over Samaria, uh, the Persian people begin to worship in Samaria and their temples, their gods. And the Samaritan people just became accustomed to it. And that was really what was the problem. They were allowing uh, idols or false gods to be worshipped in their very temples. They had uh, and, and worshipped the God of Yahweh. And so there was a divorce in their minds of truth. You think about it. The law of Moses. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They had just... Somewhere in their minds, just reconcile. And remember, Jesus said, you know not what. You don't have the knowledge. So that would indicate to me that the Spirit wasn't necessarily the problem, but maybe there was an absence of truth. I mean, you don't even, you don't even grasp, you don't even follow me, Christina. I'm tired. No, um... Remember, Jesus said, you know not what you worship. You don't have the knowledge of what you worship. You have, you have just succumbed, if you would, to just letting Persia worship their idols in your temple. Don't you have any knowledge of the Old Testament? And somewhere in the Samaritan people, they had just... This is life. This is life. We worship Yahweh. They worship their idols. And the two just kind of blend. Let me tell you a quick little story <clears throat> um, to just illustrate um, my point. When I was uh, young, believe it or not, um, I started leading worship from the drum set. I know that's weird, isn't it? I know. You don't, you don't want to see that. But that was some time now. And it was before we had Bethel. It was before we had Hillsong and all the cool bands. You know, it's just, I was like, you ever heard of Three Doors Down? How many have heard of Three Doors Down? Am I just showing my age right now? I mean, I didn't like Three Doors Down. Never did. Never cared for them. Okay, whatever. Whatever. Get off me. Get off me. But their drummer, uh, their lead singer actually started um, the band behind the drum kit too. He was leading vocals and also playing the drums. Anyways, um, I started off leading worship behind the drums. And uh, through some time, uh, uh, Bethany's brother, Aaron, 
had started getting dreams of playing the drums. I know, it's weird. I thought it was weird too. God started giving him dreams and visions. It wasn't anything like super spiritual. He wasn't like, you know, knocked in a trance for two hours, you know, big picture of him playing drums. No, he just had some dreams and some visions of him being able to play the drums. Now, up until that point, he had no musical experience at all, probably not even any care for music. I think he liked rap at the point uh, of when, who likes rap? Okay. But so back then, rap, rap was bonk, okay? You know, it's like, um, what were some of the rap bands back then? It, was just, it just was bonk. Digital Underground. Oh, my God. Anyway, so he starts having visions and dreams of playing the drums. And, of course, me, the kind-hearted leader that I am, the subservient, you know, uh, humble, meek man that I am, I said, sure, man. You know, you get dreams, you get visions. This must be my time to move on. Move on. Now, I had no experience on any other instrument than the drums. I had, you know, played around with the guitar a little bit. I knew like two chords, same as I do now. <laughs> no, uh, I know a little bit more now than I did then, um, but not much. Uh, so anyways, I didn't know, I didn't have any knowledge of how to play another instrument. And I'm just, you know, I want to be, I, I want to be, you know, just sensitive to what God's doing in there. And I'm just like, okay, if this is a chance, I need to get out for the drums, then so be it. And I start picking up the guitar, and I remember because the first time, a couple times we led worship, I didn't plug the guitar in. That's how bad it was. Like we just, it was a stage prop. And, you know, the band couldn't follow. I mean, if you're not playing, if you're not strumming, they're like, where is this guy? You know, I'm like going up, going up. I'm trying to sing louder. Maybe they could play louder. I don't know. It's just trying to lead them that way. But the guitar stood, for the most part, unplugged for the first couple of weeks of my leading experiences back then. And, uh... And I remember being tremendously nervous whenever it was time to lead worship at this point because I, was, I, was, I had knowledge about the drums. I wasn't a great drummer, but I knew how to make it. I could fake it until I made it right. I'd just be like, yeah, we'll make it right. I'll just keep on hitting harder, faster, softer, whatever. I'll make it right. I had knowledge about the drums. I could, I could make it work. But the guitar, not so much. And I remember being really nervous whenever it was time to lead worship. I was so nervous that... Literally, guys, no lie, some services, there was, there was no overhead music at all. There was none. Be- and, and people thought I was just trying to follow the spirit. No! I didn't know what else to do, so I started making up songs. I'm like, I don't know where A minor is, friend. Let's just put a D there and sing whatever comes to mind. And, and you know, sometimes God's grace covered it. And you could see God moving and people were, you know, sometimes it clicked. But for the most part... Not so much. Not so much. And they're going to lie. A lot of people, a lot of people, you know, just standing there, you know, is this, is this guy really still singing, you know, opens? I mean, when are we going to get an overhead here that we can all sing together? And people just get daft out. I'm like, you're getting daft out while I'm leading worship. Stand to your feet. Raise your hands. Are oh, you just religious? All the while, I'm sweating, nervous, just red in the face, knowing that I don't know how to play the guitar, and I don't know how to practically lead this band. Why? Because I have no knowledge. (laughs) I had plenty of spirit. (laughs) And I'm sure anyone who attended my worship services sets at that time thought, man, that guy has a lot of spirit. It's it's two hours, and we're still singing open worship. (laughs) It was 
bad friend. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes the grace of God was there. And, and unfortunately for me, at the time, I was accusing the people of being religious. I'm just religious. You don't understand me. You don't understand me. You know who I am. I'm leading in the spirit. It's not about the words on the overhead. You're going to have overheads in heaven. I'm getting ready. You, I'm getting re you ready for heaven. Right? But you see how that plays out. And, and meanwhile, I am struggling in my heart because I know it's not that at all. I know it's not that at all. I don't know how to play. And I can't be honest about it. Luckily for me, I had a great youth pastor. It was actually Bethany's mom. She's spoken here before. Um, it, it wasn't always good, but um, sometimes I tried to adhere, and she would come to me and say, Daryl, you know, we, we really love the open worship stuff. We, we love it. We're just, we're, just, we're just wondering, would you maybe do like a corporate song here and there that everybody can sing to? I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I can try. try. And, and, and that wasn't all, unfortunately, that wasn't always my attitude. Sometimes I would be like, girl, you're stifling me. You're stifling the spirit. You're stifling the Holy Ghost. Get off me. But there was an element of truth to what they were saying. And I've kind of learned over the years that God cares about both, doesn't he? I've understood that God wants me to know how to play the guitar so that I can hit the right chords and I can lead us into a corporate time of worship. Listen, it would be no benefit to us if I just started spouting off a bunch of words during open worship, hoping, hoping, hoping excuse me, that it might catch on and you might sing with me. Although there is an importance to um, dabble or to get into that heart of worship where it is open and we're not just locked into words where we can, kind of, I, I sorry some of you I saw something. I'm just going to call it out as I see it in love. You know, we, everybody's like, this is amazing grace. Woo. And then that one time comes where we start to go off the pages. And there's no of this is amazing grace anymore. What is that girl doing? <laughs> Did she just really say what I think she said? There's this, there's this nervous tension that enters the room. It's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. The, that, that, those words aren't there, honey, honey, honey. <laughs> and sometimes that can be the way it is in our walk with God. Guys, it's not that one is important than the other. It not, it's not that truth trumps the spirit. Our spirit trumps the truth. It's the two working together. You see, the Pharisees had plenty of truth, didn't they? But they lacked the spirit. They lacked uh, even understanding the thing, the very thing that they were reading. The very thing that they were giving themselves to the study of. They could not see the Messiah. Are you kidding me? In the book of Isaiah? Or, right? I mean, thousands of years later, I can, I can see it. I mean, it's like... What was the problem? <laughs> they lacked that sense of communion with the Spirit. Because we can have all the right knowledge of this book. But it's the Spirit 
that flushes it out. It's the spirit that gets it on the inside, living on the inside with you. And so I've had to learn over the years that it's both a knowledge of how to play the guitar and a spirit connection to try to not just be so caught up with the overheads. Come on. Come on. I'd like some more open worship up in this place. I like some more spirit. But sometimes, man, I can feel it. And now being a pastor, it's like, okay, I want to lead these people. I don't want to just trump. See, back in the day, I was just like, you were stifling me. Get behind me. Get out of my worship set. Go to the adult church. Now I'm just like, man, can we get some spirit? Can some people just not look like a deer in headlights when we start going off the... <laughs> oh, my God. And so now I'm learning how to pastor people, how to shepherd people. I want to stomp on people. I want to lead people. I don't want to stomp on people. No, sorry. I'm wondering why everybody's laughing. <laughs> What's to stomp on people? No, I don't want to stomp on people. I want to lead people. Amen. Sometimes I want to stomp people, but no, anyways. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be con uh, sorry, competent and equipped for every good work. In other words, God's word is lacking nothing. It needs no help. It contains the ability to instruct, teach, rebuke, correct, and equip. Through its teaching, we mature in righteousness. There's no getting around it, friend, today. If you give yourself to the study of this word, if you sincerely give yourself to looking carefully at this text in this book, it will change you. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It expresses, I'm sorry, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable observation and application of this text, the word of God is a living word. Not only is it living, it possesses the power to give us life because it is living. The word of God is powerful. The word of God cuts through joint and marrow and separates what is soul and spirit. Some scholars believe Paul is saying that the soul represents the natural and unregenerate part in a man. And by the spirit, the renewed, the regenerate part, which sometimes are not easily distinguished by men, but are clearly seen by Christ. Others think that the soul represents their inferior faculties, like the affections. The spirit represents the superior ones, the mind or the understanding. The apostle Paul's meaning seems to be just something a little bit more. That whereas the soul and the spirit are invisible and the joints and the marrow are covered and hid, so sharp and so quick-sighted and so penetrating is the divine word that it reaches 
to the most secret and hidden things in our life. Nothing can be hidden from God. Isn't that what it goes on to say in verse 13? Not even our innermost thoughts, not even the joint in the mirror. We are naked before the Lord. Friend, today this word is powerful. This word by our Savior is declared the word of truth. The word of truth. See, that's how Jesus defined the truth. He said, your word, which is truth. It's not necessarily the spoken word of God. It was the written word of God that Jesus was talking about. And friend, as the charismatic church, we need not to be ignorant or illiterate when it comes to the study of this book. But we need to give ourselves to this book. You see, the charismatic church needs a little ballast. Just because it's weird doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit. But that is not what you see in charismatic church. If it's weird, well, that must be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Are you going to make fun of it? It's the Holy Spirit, dude. <laughs> Tell me right now. That is the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you don't understand it. I get it. Listen, God is a God of order. And yes, he will do things that will def def defy our logic. It will make us feel uncomfortable. Of course. But just because it's weird, it's not the Holy Spirit. And this book brings the um, balance that we need. I made a statement a couple weekends ago about a, a man, I won't say his name, but he has made some statements about, um, you know, pretty much just saying that it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not the Father, Son, and Holy Book. And I agree with that. It is. The Holy Spirit's the third person of the Trinity. He's valued. I love the Holy Spirit. I, I, you know, I, 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 I mean, come to a prayer set. You, you'll know how I feel about the Holy Spirit. But... But I don't even know why we have to use language like that, honestly. Because what we do is we totally devalue and discredit the power of this word through that to a fallen people. We may understand it. We as charismatics may get it. But this word is to be valued. This word is the word of God. This word is the word of truth. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you today.